This is a mental health podcast, so difficult topics may arise. Please proceed with caution. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Getting Better, Stories of Mental Health. I'm Micheline Malouf. And I'm Nadia Desi, and we're your hosts and licensed therapists here to destigmatize mental health one episode at a time. In each episode, we dive into our guests' special experiences with mental health, coping mechanisms, and how they have embraced their own mental health journey. Today, we're speaking with the incredible Megan Trainer. She is an American singer, songwriter, and television personality. You might know her from her single, All About That Bass, which reached number one on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart. Her music is often an expression of womanhood, body positivity, and personal empowerment. Welcome, Megan. Thanks for joining us. We are so excited to have you on today because we're huge fans. How are you today? How are you feeling? I'm great. I'm feeling, I'm feeling really good. I'm feeling busy, but in a positive way. And I'm actually taking a younger cousin of mine to a doctor today, to um, a mental health doctor today, to do a whole scan of his brain. And so today is right on brand for me. Well, congratulations on your beautiful baby. Thank you. I know that, that this is such a huge topic. Motherhood is such a huge topic. And we're extremely grateful to have you on and talk about it because I don't think it's talked about enough, right? Uh, the struggles and the happiness and the joy and everything that comes along with being a mother. I'm not a mother. Nadia's not a mother, but we do have a lot of people around us that are, and we've seen it be a huge identity shift for many. So can you speak on how being a mother was a, an identity shift for you and how it's impacted you? Um, for me, I guess what changed with my everyday and my life and my personality, I only changed in better ways. I don't know how to say that. Um, a lot of people told me before, like, once you have a kid, your life is over and it's all theirs now and everything's focused on them. But it really wasn't the case for me. And I, I hated hearing that advice because I was like, that can't be true. And it wasn't true. My life just got better in every area, even and especially my mental health and my health in general. I was like, oh, I'm going to take care of me so that I can take care of my kid. You know, when you're in an airplane and they're like, put the oxygen mask on you and then help your kid. It's kind of that, that mentality of like, oh, I understand I need to be here so that I can take care of him. Um, so I just got better. I got stronger. I got more motivated every morning. I'd walk my baby and look at him and be like, I'm going to take care of myself today so that I can take care of you. That is so incredible to hear. And it sounds like you came to that conclusion beforehand. Correct me if I'm wrong, but what I see a lot in my therapy practice is going through the process of, no, you need to take care of yourself before you take care of someone else once they've already had a child or once their child is a little bit older and they took a while to come to that realization. Yeah, there was like, it's like a battle with yourself of, am I doing the right thing? Um, am I being too selfish or am I, especially I was on antidepressants and I told my doctors, everyone, I was like, hey, I want to get pregnant. What's the safest way to do this? I'm uneducated. I don't know if these medicines will affect my baby or not. Um, and they helped me with saying I was on a, like 0.5 milligrams of Ativan um, and also my antidepressant which is Cytalopram, and I take like 30 milligrams of that. So they told me, hey, wean off the Ativan before you get pregnant, and you can stay on the Cytalopram, on the antidepressant. My doctor approved it, and my psychiatrist approved it. 
And so I stayed on those medicine, um, on the antidepressant and I felt fine. And they told me like a happy mom is a happy baby. And I got zero depression, no postpartum depression, no pregnancy depression. And my pregnancy wasn't the easiest with, um, gestational diabetes. Mm-hmm. And I was promoting a Christmas album. I was on my feet all day long doing music videos. I was tired, mm-hmm. but I never got depression. And uh, I, I really believe it's because I stayed on that medicine. Wow. I think that's really, really important to talk about because I think there's a lot of stigma with, you know, being on antidepressants in general and then add in the motherhood aspect or trying to conceive or being pregnant. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. Um, so it sounds like you were on antidepressants beforehand. Yes, for like for years, for like two to three years, I was on them and they saved me because a few years ago I had like a full mental breakdown where my chemicals were all imbalanced and I was having panic disorder where I couldn't stop having panic attacks over nothing. Like I'd be sitting there having a great day and I'd be like, wow, what an easy day. And all of a sudden I'd start having a physical reaction and I'd be like, man, I have like a fever. I don't understand, but I'd take my temperature and it was fine. Or I'd have to run to the bathroom and you know what was happening. Um, Mm -hmm. So I, I had to go to a psychiatrist and was like, something's wrong. And I don't know what it is and I need help. And he told me right away, your chemicals are imbalanced. We're going to try this medicine and it could help you, but it could take a month. And that's terrifying. But after a month, I had all the vibrating and all the panic, all the code red stopped. Mm -hmm. And it was I was like, if you told myself like this will end one day, I would have never believed you. And I ended it. And um, I stayed on that medicine ever since. And then I did have a doctor, my first gyno. I went in like the day I was pregnant and I, um, or the, like the day after I took my tests and I showed him my medicine that I was on. I brought it in with me and he looked at them and he was like, oh, you could throw those candies away. And I have never been so angry and disappointed and heartbroken in that moment uh, in my entire life. I've never been so insulted. And I was like, running through my head, like all the horrible times I had that he has no, no idea what I've been through. No idea I've been on these for three years. Didn't ask a single question. Just said, throw those candies away. Oh, the audacity. I, I get so livid. And it took me weeks to change doctors. And I would tell other people like, yo, this guy said this to me. I'm just going to listen to my psychiatrist and not listen to him. Then I felt guilty. I'm like, I'm going against my doctor's wishes, but Like then I changed to a woman doctor named Dr. Salky, who gave me hours of letting me sit and talk to her about my past. And she's the one that was like, happy mom, happy baby. Like, let's just keep you right. It still like baffles me when I say those words out loud that that happened. Wow. I mean, I'm just like in shock. We're both in shock. shock. It's a doctor. Like the stigma of your doctor already being on it. And then he's calling them candies. Candies, candies. That's disgusting. Good for you for kind of go. I mean, I know you said it took you weeks, but you still changed doctors and went on to get a second opinion, which is. And I have I have that guilt of like, what if I hurt his feelings? Are you kidding me? Uh, I was the like, doctor's feelings? The doctor's feelings. I was like, well, how do I break up with my doctor? I've never had to do this. I've never had to change doctors. Like, it was crazy to me because I'm such a people pleaser. I'm like, well, I'll just suffer and just not talk about mm-hmm. it and, and have this lie with my doctor the whole pregnancy. Like, no, there's there's better people out there. <laughs> there's better doctors. And when I made the change, I was like, oh, I should have done this a long time ago. Yeah. 
I think it's important. It's important to, to know that like just because somebody's a doctor doesn't mean they know what they're talking about. And I that's think the that's scary something... part. <laughs> it's always good to get a second or a third opinion. Do you trust this person? Do you, I mean, the therapist too. I'm not just talking about doctors. I'm talking about all oh, yeah. medical professionals, lawyers, anybody that's like in this position to help you to get, you know, second, third, fourth opinions if you need to, especially if you don't feel like, like when they say something that's kind of, it's not kind of very offensive. Oh yeah. And that's another thing that's so important to me too, is finding the right person, especially if it's a therapist. My older brother is like anti-therapy because he had one bad experience with a guy when he was in high school and he's never gone back. And I'm like trying to convince him, like I've had four therapists. One of them told me to quit my job. Like they're not always going to be what you need. And you're allowed to be like, okay, this isn't working for me. I have to find someone else. Mm-hmm. And that's hard for people. It's hard because you get discouraged when somebody has such a negative impact on you. Of course, you don't want to go back. It makes sense. Oh, yeah. I think it's important when you mentioned that you had panic disorder, but for so long, you had no idea why. It was just like, this is what it is. So for our listeners out there, if you are struggling, there's not always a reason for everything. Yes. You can experience anxiety or panic or depression and not have it linked back to something specific. It's still valid and it still happens. Exactly. My my um big thing that I do, you see I cover my full hands up because of my terrible spray tan, but also because I um pick my skin so bad that I'll literally have band-aids on my fingers because I'm bleeding. And my therapist now, who I love, she's amazing, she goes, Is there a moment where you can stop picking and go, why am I picking? And I go, Sometimes I can't. Sometimes I'm like, nope, I'm totally happy. But it's like deep down anxiety that's brought up from like that last week or the future week. I'm like, I guess I have a stressful week coming up and this must be that. But it's like, that's what anxiety can do. It can make you do weird stuff. It can make your body uncontrollably do weird stuff and you're not even there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anxiety can make you have physical symptoms. And I think oh, yeah. a lot of people don't realize that like gastrointestinal symptoms, it can give you migraines, it can, and you know, go get checked out by a doctor. But If you're going to many doctors and you have all of these symptoms happening and you still can't figure it out, then therapy might be the answer. You know, mental health, check check your mental health. I pick my skin too. I have to have uh, my nails done all the time because it makes it impossible. (laughs) Yes. If I have a big fat acrylic nail, I can't do it. But when I don't, it's over. It's done. Yeah. And my husband's like, okay. Like he wants to help, but he knows I have to do it. And he's like, it's okay. I'm not judging you. I'm like, I just want to know you're okay. I'm like, mm-hmm. Thank you. I don't know what's going on. Well, that's good that he asks those questions. Yeah, he's a, he's a saint. And for those of you who don't know about panic disorder, panic disorder is this like all of a sudden, like just out of nowhere, panic just hits you. And then you have a fear of panicking. So then your fears just become like you think of panics and then you it triggers a panic attack, right? So, and it's very intense, a lot of physical uh, symptoms, very scary. You mentioned, did you get a fever at one point? I, I heard you I say got, fever. I got, um, it felt like I had a fever. Like my mom felt my temperature and was like, oh, you're sick. Like I'll get the thermometer. I had many moments where I, a few moments where I went to the emergency room because I was like, oh, I'm just having an allergic reaction to food that I ate. Like my throat's closing. I just got to go get quick EpiPen or something. Like this, this will be resolved. And when the doctor came in, like with a sad look on his face of like, I have to explain to this girl what a panic attack is. I was like, 
No, no, no. Check again. Uh, like <laughs> look in the throat. It's closing. Like it's not in my brain. And I, because I was so uneducated, that's what scared me the most. I had no idea what they were talking about. I had no idea it could affect you physically, like give you diarrhea. And and my parents didn't know. And that was harder for me because they're my best friends, my soldiers, like support me through anything. Except this moment, they were like, don't go to the emergency room. Like, come over here. I'll rub your head. And I was like, no, you don't. I need oxygen hooked up to me or I'm going to die. And and it was really hard. But when I heard like Carson Daly um, on the Today Show did an entire segment on here's exactly what my panic attack looks like. It was exactly like mine. And I sent it to my mom and I said, this is how I feel. I couldn't explain it to her back then, but I said, this is how I feel. And it clicked for her. And she was like, okay, this is something that no one can control and like out of your hands. And, but it's a very real thing happening. And then she like cried and now she's like totally educated and learned and helps me out through all of it. That's why like when I explain it, I'm like, I hope that someone has that moment I have with Carson Daly. And what was really helpful too was my older brother, who's like the strongest guy I know, like tough, never cries, like whatever, my hero. He he was the only person when I was having a panic attack that looked at me and was like, oh, I had these in college. Just go to the emergency room. They'll give you a little medicine. You'll be fine. You'll come back. It's okay. I know you need to go and you go. And like having that support, I was like, oh, I'm not crazy. I'm not like, I'm not making this up. Like, this is real. You had this too. And just to know someone in my family had that too was so helpful. Just made me go like, oh, it's okay. Yeah. That relatability of being able to sit, know you're not alone is extreme. It's it's more powerful yeah. than anything you can do sometimes. It's yes. Just like, it, I, there's so many, I don't know if this is a horrible thing, but there's so many times where I'm like, I wish you could feel this, you know? <laughs> so you could just like understand where I'm at with everything, mm-hmm. with my pregnancy. I'm like, Daryl, I wish you could feel this right now. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. But it, it helps. Yeah. So you mentioned that this mental health, like the, the, the anxiety, the panic, uh, depression, did you struggle with depression also, or was it just the panic that you... A lot of people, um, when I do interviews, they'll group it all together and go, yeah. Megan Trainer with anxiety and depression. I don't think I've had depression. I think I just had like anxiety, panic disorder, because I've heard people talk about depression where they can't get out of bed. I've never had that. I never had... Like where I'm just sad for no reason for a very long time. I've had days where I'm like, I'm sad for no reason. And I'm just bummed and I got to, but I've never been like, oh, uh, this is depression. This is a different level. I want to like take my own life. I've never been like that. So mm-hmm. when people just group it all together and put the title of that with my face on it, I'm like, eh, I don't know. I think I'm more of like, I had crazy anxiety my whole life. I pick my fingers and I'm jittery and wonder what everyone's thinking. But I recently had panic disorder where I've had attacks. And so that's like what I've had. And I know my whole pregnancy, I didn't have depression. Postpartum, I never had depression. And what I love is that every doctor appointment while you're pregnant and after is we need you to sign this list of questions and answer it honestly of like, do you get sad for no reason? Do you get, and they, they do like a mental check, which I love. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I didn't know they did that. Yeah. But you're right. When we were researching and looking at articles, it was always grouped together. It's always grouped together. And it's, and I've never been like, yeah, I had depression. I've never said that. So I think a lot of people are still uneducated or, or just like assume that they go hand in hand for everyone. 
And that's been something that I was like, can I say this bugs me? Because like, <laughs> if someone asked me like, how do I deal with depression? I wouldn't know how to help them because I'm like such a pro now at anxiety that uh, that was my main <laughs> thing. You know, I, right. I don't know. Right. Yeah. No, they don't always go together. They can be, they can, yeah. and, and they yeah. do often, but they don't always go together. So I'm glad that you said that. So, you know, clearing the air there, you struggled with anxiety and panic not depression yeah. necessarily. So yeah, I struggle with like my body feels like it's on fire and I can't stop it, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> yeah. But ever since my medicine, like that doesn't happen. It helps you. Well, anytime I do feel something is if I'm super exhausted, <laughs> lack of sleep, and my body will trick me instead of saying you're so overtired, they'll go, you're panicking. And I feel the vibrations and it's mostly when I'm laying down for bed too. I notice that when I'm getting down, when I'm stopping moving from my long day, I'll be like, mm, oh goodness, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> start. And I have to remind myself like, you're just tired. You just need sleep and you'll be fine. So now like my brain can come back. Okay. So that, that's what I was going to ask you. Like, do you do something that keeps you from, you know, going over? I for- have to like, sometimes I'll, I'll just talk to my husband and be like, hey, I'm feeling something. And he knows, like, don't ask me about it. Don't dive in. Don't try to save me. Just know that I'm buzzing right now. And I need you to just hold my hand and help me go to sleep. Like, take care of me. I say that a lot. I go, take care of me tonight, okay? I need you to take care of me. If I have, like, a big migraine, I know it's going to be the rest of my night. And I'm like, I need you to take care of me. And he's a superhero because he's like, all right, tonight is all you. I'm going to take care of you, which is, like... Every night, though, because he's a hero. Get yourself a good support system. <laughs> Honestly, it's one of the number one things. But how yes. how was your journey of getting to this place of finally understanding what you need? It was hard, especially in the beginning when I was having panic and, I'm, and I couldn't figure out what it was. I thought I was like actually schizophrenic, like going, seeing things. And just because I wasn't sleeping, I was literally delirious. Things were moving and... And it was hard because when Daryl, his his thought is like, oh, she wants to talk about it. She wants me to listen. Like, I'll ask her questions. And I would go, you're making this worse. Like, you're just making me think about how messed up I feel, you know? And that was hard because then I'd be like, I'm sorry. I love you. I just, I what I need you to do is just rub my back. Like, <laughs> literally say no words, rub my back. And just the the openness that we have, the communication is so spot on that that's what helps us. And now I can look at him and he'll know like, okay. That's what we're doing tonight. Got it. Like that's that's what level we're on. But communication is everything. Um, and also, I did want to talk about after my C-section, the PTSD. I got a little bit of that. Yeah, um, we actually had a question because you had a traumatic birthing like experience, right? Yeah, in the hospital. I think it was the drugs. I didn't. I wasn't stressed. I was like, this is the best. Like my baby's in the NICU. He'll be fine. Like I was way too chill. And afterwards, like coming off of the drugs and coming home and and looking back at it and talking to my therapist about what happened, she's like, oh, my God, are you okay? Like, have you really like thought through what happened? And I was like saying it out loud. It's pretty messed up. It's very messed up. I um, I had a C-section because he was breech and um, which I was lucky that it wasn't like I was pushing 20 hours and then they had a c-section you know but i uh scheduled it i went in had my c-section he came out no crying and i i laid there and was like i don't hear anything and they're like so he's not breathing they did a very good job at like smiling and being like everything is okay we're just gonna bring him upstairs to the NICU and they took him away i got to see him for one second even though they said don't and i was like let me just look you know and then um 
they took my, this was the hardest part. They were like, Daryl, would you like to go be with your baby or stay with your wife? And I looked at him and I said, stay with me. Like, I was like, choose me. I'm not okay. And the doctor looked at him and said, I think you should go with the baby. And so he, we were like, all right, well, whatever the doctor said in my head, I was like, okay, the baby's not okay then. So you should go with him. Say goodbye if we have to, you know, I had no idea. And I'm so drugged up. My whole, all I was saying in my head was surrender, surrender, surrender. Cause there's nothing you can do. You physically can't get up. So I'm laying there and for 45 minutes, I'm getting vacuum sucked, put back together again. And you just hear it. You smell it. It's the whole thing. And I remember at one point I wanted to pass out and I told the anesthesia, I was like, uh, I heard them say like, I don't know if this is too graphic, but they said like, we're getting discoloration. And I said, yeah, I feel that. I'm not feeling too good. Like feeling like a panic, like I'm going to faint. And he did something and it fixed me. And I was like, oh, okay, great. I can chill like this. But it was pure yanking misery. And then they put me in another room and I had no phone, had no idea what was going on, just laying there, drugged up, just like, what is happening? Then I finally asked, like, can someone call the NICU and see if my son is alive and in there, you know? And then my husband ran down with the phone and smiled and was like, he's perfect. And I was like, oh, Lord, thank God. And then he went back up to the NICU and I met my son over FaceTime. And that was tough. And they didn't let me see him until my, um, because I still had the catheter in me and my pee had some blood in it. And they didn't let me see him until I peed normal. And that was like two days. So I couldn't see my kid for two days which like backfired on the producing milk because I didn't get my skin to skin. It was really tough. And what's really tough that I've never talked about is that I've literally never told anyone this, and it's been a big discussion in my life, um, is that a lot of the nurses there told me, to, like looked at me when I finally got to the NICU and said, were you on antidepressants? And I said, yes. And they said, Oh, that happens sometimes. And this is what happens with your babies. They just don't come out alert. And I was like, excuse me? Like, I've never once heard this from any doctor ever. I don't understand. What are you saying? And so I called my psychiatrist and I said, hey, man, you lied to me. They told me that this was caused because of my antidepressants. And he said, there's no science that backs that up. When people have C-sections, it, it's a 50-50 chance that their baby comes out full of fluids. And my aunt's a nurse, and she's like, my friend had this happen to her. They just come out full of their liquid, and they can't get it out themselves, so they have to go to the NICU and, like, need help for a few days. But the fact that, like, eight nurses looked at me and were like, it's your fault because you were on antidepressants messes me up so hard and is such a dilemma that I still have to work through and deal with, and I still don't know the answer. And that's what keeps me open. It's like, I still don't know what is true, what is accurate, and I wish I got some type of warning that if I'm having a C-section, just so you know, he could come out full of liquid and not be so alert. And I, I could not tell you what really happened. That is a lot of shaming after one of the most probably traumatic experiences you've Experience. I mean, at this point, you probably hadn't even seen. You said you hadn't seen your son yet, right? And they were saying this to you. at this point, I just met him. I just, oh, met, just him. met him. I'm yeah. in the NICU. I just met him, and I'm happy as hell because I'm like, oh God, he's so cute. He's perfect, even though he's tied up to all these tubes. 
But I was like so lost and so confused, so miserable. I'm in so much pain. I can barely sit up straight. And they're looking at me. I'm exhausted. And they're like, it's because you were on your antidepressants that everyone told you was okay. And, and there's no science that backs it up. And it's just a guess. But they were so determined. So I went back and forth with all my doctors of what is happening. And I never got... No one has answers. No one knows the answers. Yeah. That's like another thing. All, so. the, the, the right answer is it's never your fault. Yes, and ma'am. thank you for sharing that with us and being open. But the right answer is it's not your fault. And you didn't do anything wrong. The right answer is you did what was best for your mental health and what you thought would be better for your baby and this pregnancy. And shit happens. Yeah. You know, uh, yep. I can't tell you how much, how many friends and family members I know that have had to have emergency C-sections and things like that happen. And yeah, it doesn't matter. Antidepressants, anti-anxiety, not nothing. It doesn't matter. There's, I haven't, there's no reason to ever tell anybody that. I, and like, why would you tell a new mom? Yeah, that's what I'm like. Thinking. What the F? Like, I don't. My palms are sweaty because I'm so mad. You're at such a vulnerable place right now. You're still trying to process what happened. Yeah. And this nurse. So my therapist now is like, okay, we have trauma that we're going to work through. And it's like every day I have to. And and like I still have my PTS moments. What I was saying before is when I go to bed at night, sometimes when I'm in between that phase of like falling asleep and actually asleep. I'm stuck on that table and I'm back in that room and I'm like, mm. like I start like, you know, when you get grossed out and you get chills, I start getting that feeling and I wake back up and I go, Daryl, I'm still in that room. I have like that kind of moment. And my therapist told me like, sit up, wake yourself up and go like chair, TV, wall, window, like just start. And that really helped me last time it happened. Yeah. You're having flashbacks. Those are, those are like visual flashbacks and the emotional yeah. flashbacks too, where it's like you're feeling like you're feeling the emotions of that traumatic moment. So what you're naming is that technique that we tell for anyone listening who's struggling with stuff like that. It's uh, one of the tools that we tell people to use is that five, four, three, two, one tool. And I'm not sure, Megan, if that's what your therapist was telling you to use, but you name five things you see, you touch four things around you, you hear three things around you, you smell two things around you, then you taste something if you have it. And what that does is it gets you out of fight or flight because when you are having a flashback, your nervous system thinks it's back at that like uh, area of trauma. Like it thinks it's happening again. It's not in your mind, yeah. it's in your body. So when you do that, you interrupt the stress response. So I think that's why it's it's very, very helpful. It's a very helpful tool for that. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Those are the two issues I have is that PTSD little flashback moments and then the, the unknowing of like what happened, you know, and like trying to blame me for it. And if I went back and had to do it all over again, I'd stay on my medicine because I was happy as a clam, you know, and I wouldn't want to risk any postpartum depression or any depression during the pregnancy. When you found out he was breech and you had to have a, a C-section, was there, w- were you attached to this idea? Because I know a lot of mothers get like this, I want to have a natural birth and, and all of that. Was that something that you struggled with or were you totally fine with it? Luckily, I never was um, the person that was like, here's how I'm going to push him out. Like, Here's my plan. I never had one, probably because I knew, like, with my luck, (laughs) it'll probably go sideways. (laughs) So I didn't want to get attached to a certain way. But also, 
I didn't take a single class, which like maybe I should have, but it was COVID and I didn't know how to sign up and be like, hey guys, that's me. So I don't know how to do anything, but I, uh, I didn't know what they meant by what's your birth plan. Like when they started asking me around 30 weeks, I was like, what do you mean? Like, isn't that something that you write out on a piece of paper and then you hand it to me? And then what? like, I drive here when I'm cramping, right? Like, isn't that the drill? What do you mean? What's my plan? Like I get them out. Um, so when they told me like, we're going to have to do a C-section once I knew like he was sideways and it was too late, I knew like, uh Oh, and they, and she said, okay, we're going to do a C-section. It's going to be okay. And I was like, yeah, whatever gets him out the safest. Like I'm not going to push it. His, his booty was down there, you know? And like his head was up here and his legs were over there. So he was like a V. So I was like, I'm not going to push him out that way. But I did have other doulas tell me, you need to change doctors and you need to push them out naturally and you need to do this. And I was like, no, thanks. <laughs> I was like, I'm good. I'm just going to go get my C-section and it is what it is. <laughs> really just a lot of shame in different areas throughout the whole thing. It is. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I know you mentioned that that was the first time you shared that story with anyone. Just want to check in with how you're feeling because it is extremely traumatic and hard to process. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's just like it's like I felt like I was going to be shamed by telling that story. You know, I was scared that people would come at me as like, well, it's because you were on your antidepressants. And I'm, and I'm now I'm like, dude, no, I've checked with all the doctors. I know I was happy. I know I was fine. The baby's looking at him, looking at him now. He's like the healthiest kid ever. And he was healthy then, too. He just like was exhausted and it was trauma for him coming out. So. Yeah, I wouldn't change a thing. It, I mean, we share things. It's like, and, and with shame, especially, it's like it lives in us. It becomes how we view ourselves. And it just, it's like this monster that like just lives within us. You know, you can't stop thinking about it a lot of times. So when we share it, it's like one of the best ways to get rid of shame is like to put it out on the table and talk about it. And, yeah. You know, and if, and if anyone is like, that happened to me, I'll feel great. You know, I'll be like, oh my God. This is a you thing. Feel better. <laughs> You're not and alone. it just it just seems like for such a big deal and for for the fact that they tell me, oh, this happens all the time, like, then why was I shamed? Or like why did I feel why do I still feel like, ugh, that wasn't fun, you know? And I went back into my voice notes because I recorded every phone call I ever got. Uh, cause it went back and forth. My pediatrician would come in and tell me, he's doing great today. I'm sure like he's gonna come home tomorrow. Then we'd go visit him in the NICU and they say, I don't know who told you that, he's worse today. And it was like, literally they were battling. I was like, y'all aren't on the same page. Like, <laughs> I don't know who's trying to be the cooler one here. Or like, it felt like it was like, no, we're the real doctors. You know, it felt like a battle. Competition. I was like, just somebody get my kid home. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're the victim. You you and, and your son and your family are the ones that suffer with it. I have recordings though, and I haven't heard them since that day. But I accidentally slipped on one the other day. And I was like, oh. <gasps> And I, I was like, I have to shut this off. Like it was too late at night to even go into that. But I was like, oh my God, I should review these and like really listen to who said what, you know? Mm -hmm. And what would, what, what would make you want to do that? Is it something that to, to help you heal or? Just cause like a lot of this is, is based off of memory too. And I know that I was drugged up. I was not in the right headset. I was exhausted. And my husband, we were running on two hours. Every two hours they came in and were like, pump with, for nothing, you know? So I was like, I just want to make sure I'm remembering everything that I was told um, if I missed something. But my husband was there too. And he, we got the same reaction. We were both like, what? 
You mentioned the trauma of the hospital. Now you're dealing with PTSD. Is that the main symptom you have or do you experience other PTSD-like or symptoms about this? Um, s- like seeing the scar and um, I had a lot of body issues looking at myself afterwards because um, the stretch marks were under my belly. So I never saw them during my pregnancy, but at the end when my belly deflated, you know, I was like, oh, that's what happened. And <laughs> they run up and they're dark and it's genetics. My mom, everyone has them. And then my scar goes across them all. So that was like double whammy for me. And the scar is like not thick, but you feel it anytime you're around that area. If I get pain there, I freak out. And I'm like, oh God, what's happening? What's happening? Like, why am I back? You know? Yeah. Looking at it is really tough for me. And like taking off my clothes to shower and seeing the mirror, I'm like, oh my God. Like it just puts you back in that place. Not even like a, it's ugly, which like it is to me, but like in that world of, oh my God, I was sliced open. Cause I've never also, I've never broken a bone. I've never had surgery, never been cut into. So that like, I can't get through that I can't get through it. I can't emotionally see it. I've seen my aunt give birth. So I was like prepared for that. I was like, I'm about to push this kid out. And now it just, it like, it freaks me out in that kind of way. There's a lot of, you know, change. We, we talked about it briefly, but like change from being a non-mother. And you said for you, it's kind of changed your life for the better. Um, and, but there is a big change, you know, from not being a mother and all of a sudden becoming a mother. And, you know, especially with a traumatic experience like the one you ex- you went through. And there's a lot of like, am I doing this right? Like, this is what I hear from people. Um, am I doing this right? What if I mess this up? What if I mess my kid up? What if, what if, what if? Do you have those type of thoughts? Yeah. In the beginning, I'm like tough and strong and I am doing much better. And I've like been through this health and fitness journey where I've like lost 50 pounds and like stronger than ever, but there's the, the, everything of being a mom is like, they, they want me to start feeding him solids. And I'm like, too scared. Like, (laughs) like what if he chokes? What if I do it wrong? What if I, I don't know how to help him from choking. I don't, there's, there's other stuff where he falls asleep in my arms every night. I'm like, am I, is that the wrong way to do this? Like, will he be attached to me and won't be able to fall asleep on his own? There's so many little categories, but then we look at him and we hear the pediatrician go, he's so healthy. He's growing perfectly. He's a happy boy. We hear so many people say, he's so chill. And I'm like, really? And they're like, chill baby means chill parents. And I'm like, whew, okay. Um, so there's moments where you can be like, oh, I'm doing something right. Like my kid's awesome, you know? What about like intrusive type thoughts? What do you mean intrusive? So there's like these scary thoughts that we have that come along with anxiety that don't mean anything about you, but they're a source of shame. Uh, that oh. not just new mothers. You have, mean but the deep dark thoughts? Yeah, the deep like dark the scary thoughts. thoughts? Yeah. I've had um, scary thoughts. It's always like, what if I walk in his room and he's not alive? Mm-hmm. You know, what like SIDS mm-hmm. scares the absolute crap out of me. Mm-hmm. I got all the gadgets, everything, and I I got the sock one that tells me his heart rate. And I if something happened like and it wasn't plugged in, I won't go to bed until that's beeping. And then we changed to another one where it doesn't have to be on his sock and it just watches him and I still don't trust it. I'm like, no, no, no. I want a pulse. I want a machine hooked up to him and I want to know his breathing is right. Like, um, so that's definitely my biggest fear in life. And I always, I can visualize the worst. Like I'm already at his funeral, you know, like I, I take it to a very dark place. Um, I also like 
every single night of my life. I don't know if it's because I'm a creative person. I have horrific nightmares. Like, not to where I get up and scream, but I wake up every morning like, another day, like another entire three movies of pure fear. And a lot of times we're like, Riley's drowning in a pool somewhere, you know, or just horrific stories. Micheline, I'm so happy you brought that up because I was just talking about it the other day. And I always get the question of like, I must be a bad mom then if I'm having these thoughts about my baby. And it's just such a common experience. Even the link between intrusive thoughts and postpartum, it it happens very often. It's because you're so protective and you want to make sure they're safe. So of course, these thoughts are coming to your mind of the worst possible scenario. Yeah. You're just worried that it's going to happen. I think learning so much from having panic disorder taught me so much about my mental state with the baby because I would give myself an excuse. I'd be easier on myself because I go, oh, mama, you're exhausted. Like, of course you're having crazy thoughts. Like you haven't slept in a month, you know? And I was way more forgiving. And I think if I didn't go through that, then I would have a way harder time in this pregnancy. Like I know now I can catch my brain like, oh, what are you doing up there, you know? But people who don't know what that is are probably freaking out and think I'm the worst, you know? Right. And hormones. You have hormones and, you know, like there's so much happening. Talk about chemicals imbalanced. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And and I love that you said what's going on up there, like in a jokey way, because like some of the ways that we can actually combat like these intrusive thoughts. And these are common if you're a mother or plan on being a mother. I think they're so common and they're even common amongst people that aren't mothers, but there'll be thoughts about like dropping the kid or somebody else hurt, hurting mm-hmm. your baby or um, the baby choking or even you harming your baby. And so people panic about that and they're like, why am I having thoughts about hurting my baby? And when you are distressed by these thoughts, it means they're intrusive, which means they don't say anything about you because you don't actually want to do it, which is why you're terrified of them. So the way that you can combat that is, you know, saying something to yourself, this is a thought. Um, What's going on in my brain? There goes my brain making a risk assessment again, trying to warn me of all the bad things that could happen because I care about my kid, not because I actually want to hurt my kid. So yeah, such an important topic. Yeah, we're very creative human beings. The brain is very powerful. Um, I have to know that too, because my dreams make zero sense sometimes. Sometimes they're like, oh, that's why I thought about that because of it. Sometimes they're like, "Mm -mm, there's something wrong. Like (laughs) that has nothing to do with my life. Why am I thinking of that? And sometimes my husband and I will name our brain something else. Like his is like Tim or something and mine's Susan. I'm like, Susan, stop that. Like, (laughs) because we really have to separate that. I'm like, that's not me. That's Mm -hmm. like, that's the yeah. crazy Susan bitch in my head. <laughs> yeah, mine's Maya. My brain's name's Maya. Yeah. Mine's D. Such a valuable <laughs> lesson. <laughs> we were just talking about it too, naming your brain and naming your yes, anxiety. They yeah. should name them. Yeah. Because it creates that separation. Like we don't want to take everything that our brain brain thinks so many things throughout the day. We don't pay attention unless it's scary. And then, you know, we think it has to mean something about us. And it's like, no, it doesn't. Yeah. That's very real. Someone told me that 10 years ago. I feel so much better. So do you get a lot of unsolicited advice as a new mom? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I, and the, the you know, the best advice I get is actually from my pediatrician. Like he's just so real and and he's had two babies with his wife and he's like, dude, my wife didn't do anything. The book said she just our kids are fine. You know, he's like the most real with me and is like, like when I couldn't breastfeed and I had a feeding tube 
taped to my boob to feed my child. And my husband was pushing the syringe and I was like, we're breastfeeding. Like that's the new science. I was like, well, this sucks. Um, I like, he looked at me and was like, your kid's not getting away. You look miserable. Let's feed the kid formula. It's going to be fine. And, and it was funny cause I never had shame. I was like, I gave this 110%. Like I'm proud of myself. I did it. I tried my hardest. I went three months of pumping and I weaned off and I like finished at four months and I was like, wow, I made it to four months. I'm a hero. But when I posted that on TikTok, so many moms were like, don't be ashamed. Be proud of yourself. I was like, oh, I wasn't ashamed, but thank you. You know, <laughs> like, but uh, it's because it's out there and because people do like rip you apart, I guess. So it was weird to hear it, hearing all that, even having to have a C-section. They're like, don't think you're less than don't like you're just as good of a mom as anyone else. I was like, what? I'm about to get cut open. Like I'm a hero. So I think having that mindset really helped me too. But I can see how people get in their heads of like a lot of people out there are like, oh, C-sections aren't giving birth. I'm like, okay, what do you think it is? Because that wasn't easy. Ooh, <laughs> that just makes me cringe. Like, well, who says that? Because I'd want to talk to them. Right. But uh, <laughs> that's horrible. Yeah, but there is a lot of shaming out there. I mean, I've met people that have people in their lives. I'm not going to call them out on here, but they were told, look, don't do this. You have to do this. Don't do that. And like everything was like broken up into this like right and wrong and what's the best way to do it. And I think that's yeah. where a lot of the shame comes in. So it's really good that you didn't have that. But I think those comments do come from a place of they, there's a lot of shaming happening out there about like how you deliver, yeah. how, what you feed your baby, how long you breastfeed for, uh, you know, everything, everything. And I think a lot of, I think of a lot of it is like unknowing shame. Like they don't even know that they're shaming you. Like a lot of people, when I had to start feeding him solids were like, oh, you know what I did? I cooked up his food and I put it in little ice chips and then that's how you do it. I was like, or you get Gerber, you know, like just <laughs> let me know that you can do this or you don't have to. Like mm -hmm. if you say it in a certain way, it could be it could be taken better. So I try to think of that when people ask me for advice. I'm like, you can't mess this up. He's going to eat the food. It's fine. You can mm -hmm. make it or buy it. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, you really can't mess this up because we've been doing this for like how many years yeah. <laughs> before all yeah. of these like gadgets and things happening. Do it the best way you can with what resources you have yeah and the way that feels best for you that's going to keep you and that's, the baby healthy that's where we happy. go back to we go back to oh my god he's alive and thriving we're crushing it like we look at each other and you have to cheer yourself on too of like dude we're great parents like look at him he's thriving you know yeah you're keeping him alive and fed that's all that matters he's alive that's yeah. number one so yeah have you had people try to tell you you're doing it wrong um, luckily, no, I think because of COVID too, I'm just like avoiding all humans. And, <laughs> um, I do have a lovely group of mamas though, that we get together and do like a music class and they're all so sweet. And we're, it's mostly just like helpful advice of like, has I, is anyone else's kids grunting for no reason? And they're like, mine's doing that. What does that mean? And we're all just like helping each other out. Um, but there's never been a moment where they're like, this is how you have to do it, which I was afraid of, you know, I'm like, oh my God, I've never done any mama group. I never did uh, any classes. I've never been to a place with other humans that are doing what I'm doing. And we're all different age groups. So I didn't know what it'd be like, but it was actually very nice. You know, it's very sweet. And it's like a little mini therapy 
every week. Yeah, it sounds amazing. And I'm sure it helps with the feeling of isolation too. other people going through. Exactly. Sure. Where you are. Yeah. Did your view on mental health change at all when you became a mom? It just got, it grew stronger, I think. And especially going through that C-section moment of like, well, I got through my pregnancy and I was like, I crushed it. I stayed on my antidepressants and nothing bad happened. Like, and then having that C-section moment where he wasn't awake for a few days, like that really messed me up. But now coming out of it, I'm like, I'm str- I can handle anything, throw anything my way. I will crush it. And um, I will just voice what's happened to me in case it helps someone out there. Because I've never, no one I know has been through that at the hospital with like, um, except for people who were on antidepressants and had a C-section. It happens for, it's a 50-50 case with a C-section. So wish I knew that, you know, I'm just trying to educate anything that I wish I heard. Same with like all about that base. I wish I heard that on the radio at the time and I saw how that helped people. So I'm like, yo, if anyone's listening to this podcast, this is what happened to me. You good if you're in the same boat. Absolutely. Talking about it is one of the best ways that we can, you know, help each other. It's just needing to feel like we're not alone. I'm very into asking for help. Good. Yes. Good. Very into that. I think that's what's helped me for sure. You got to ask for help. And this is like one of the purposes of this podcast is to help people see that it, like mental health doesn't discriminate. It doesn't matter who you are, you know, how much success you've had. It doesn't matter. Nothing matters. It's mental health. We all have it. And it's going to impact we us. We all have it. It's crazy to me, though, still that like I have like aunts or family members that are still like going through. You could see them having like similar things to bipolar disorder or um, anxiety, crippling anxiety. And they tell me like, um, I, I drink like a bunch of wine at night to calm down. Like, what do you do? And I'm like, I I take my medicine and I eat some chocolate and I go to bed. Like there's other ways Like, you can ask for help, but it's crazy. It's like hard to get them to see a therapist. It's hard to get them to ask for help. And you don't want to push it. Even family members, you don't want to push it on them and be like, something's wrong. Right. I just tell them like, here's what I did. Here's what I did. Like, I don't drink anything. I don't have to smoke weed or calm myself down with advice. Like I know I'm good on my medicine and my TikTok, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. The stigma is still very real for so many people. It's so still, it's, it's, and it's only in their heads. I'm like, nobody like, go get, I'm on medicine. You want a picture? Here's what I take. You know, it's crazy. And that's the best you can do. Yeah. I can't force her to go, you know, I can't force them to go to a doctor. I'm just like, I'm on it. Here's what I do. <laughs> During our talk with Megan, we mention how important it is to ask for help when you need it. Trust your gut feeling, even if it terrifies you, and accept that it is okay not to be okay, especially when you're a new mom. Anxiety and panic is real, and it benefits us all to learn the tools to cope. If you find yourself needing to talk to somebody, BetterHelp Online Therapy will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy done securely online. It's way more affordable than traditional offline therapy and financial aid is available. And it makes getting therapy easier. 
Just schedule your message, phone, or video session and complete it from your phone, in your car, in your home, or wherever you are. We want to thank people like Megan for being so open about her own mental health journey and for encouraging others to take care of themselves by getting therapy. There's a special offer for Getting Better listeners. Get 10% off your first month of online therapy at betterhelp.com slash getting better. That's better, B-E-T-T-E-R, help.com slash getting better. I know we, we were talking at the beginning of this episode that you struggled with anxiety and panic and obviously becoming a new mom. Now there's a new set of things to worry about, I guess. And has that kind of gone on to your baby like do you ever worry like if he has a cough or if he's crying too much or do you ever worry like oh my gosh is something wrong or has your anxiety kind of gotten better as a result of being a mom well you know how when they cry after you put them he's like an amazing sleeper sleeps seven to seven like unheard of but some nights he'll get up at like 10 um and just because he peed and he's like having a nightmare like my kid has nightmares too he's just like me and i'm like no but um, you know how they're like, just leave him in there. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm going in there. Like, I'm going to go rescue him. So there's no, no one can stop me. Um, and it doesn't so far, it doesn't like make him worse and he doesn't do it all the time. But sometimes I just go in there and I like, he's literally still sleeping on me. He's like, <gasps> and I'm like, it's okay. Everything's fine. You just have your mommy's brain. <laughs> like, so I definitely, anything that's happening, I'm like, what's wrong? Is he teething? What is it? Um, but that's just like mama love, you know? Mm-hmm. If I see a bump on him, I'm like, he has a rash. We need a cream, you know? Okay. Yeah. But you don't go to like yeah. panic mode of like. No, I don't. No, I don't have panic. I do sometimes like he has a really crazy birthmark that looks like a giant bruise on his back. Pfft, haven't told anyone this either. Um, but they told me like it's very normal. Kids have it. They can, it can go away when they're three. But that moment I go, who hit my baby? You know, like did I drop him and not remember? Like, oh my God, the fear. I was like. My kid's been beat and I have no idea. Like, but it's just like a very normal thing that nobody talks about, you know? So just, I was like, oh, just another one for the list. Got it. How do you plan on introducing or do you plan on introducing mental health to your son and and teaching him about? Oh, this, I did want to talk about this. I see a lot of some good stuff on TikTok uh, and the internet where like a mom will show her toddler having a complete meltdown. And she'll show herself like getting on their eye level, like coming down to the ground, staying perfectly calm and and asking them like, what's wrong? What are you feeling? And stuff like that. And me and Daryl are obsessed with it. And we're like, oh my God, I can't wait to calm him down. And because and, I've seen like family members or I've seen other families where they just scream at the kid who's crying and you're like, oh, why would you scream? Why would you scream at them? Now they're upset, and now they don't know what's up. They were up, you know what I mean? Like it's just a cycle of screaming. Um, and I also am obsessed with um, Oprah's book with Dr. Perry. I believe that's um, what happened to you, and how they say when they're this age, like when they're a baby, baby, and they can't speak, they're sponges. So if you're screaming and having arguments, that baby gonna feel it that baby's going to soak it in. So me and Daryl, anytime anyone's voice gets loud, we're like, ha, 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 take it outside, you know, <laughs> like not around the baby, you know? Mm-hmm. So we're very protective and we're very ready for real emotions. That's good. Yeah. That what you were talking about earlier with like getting on eye level, it's what we call co-regulation and yes. you know, our nervous systems are contagious 
believe it yes. or not. That's why you feel anxious around anxious people and calm around calm people. Energy. Yes. I think that's why our baby's calm because when we're with them, we're like, everything's a dream, you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. But it's also about like teaching them like how to self-soothe because when, yes. when they're throwing a tantrum, the parent's instinct because, you know, no shame to anyone who's done this, but like it's the instinct, like maybe you're embarrassed, maybe you're at the store and like- you're, Yeah, and you're like, you know, knock it off, you know? Off. Yeah, exactly. But the the child is not- in that like area of functioning in their brain at that moment. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're at code red. Yes. <laughs> so like getting down on the eye level and like reflecting what you see, like you're angry, you're sad, you're upset. Like saying those words teaches them to identify their own emotions within themselves. And then after that, being able to like, okay, let me, do you want to hug? What do you need to feel better? So like teaching them how to do that is so much better. Amen. I know. Yeah. I'm, we're nerds about that stuff. Daryl's read all the books and I don't read. So I just like, I only read, read Oprah. That's all I read. Um, <laughs> but I watch a lot of videos and, <laughs> and yeah, and it's a different world with this, the screens. Like I even see Riley at, since he was six months, probably younger when I'm on my phone, he'll look at it and be like, and try to reach for it. And like the computer, I can't go on my computer near him because he's like, like wants to play with it. Like screens is a whole new addiction that parents are trying to figure out. And it's, it's one of the biggest fears I have. Like when everyone's like, just give them the iPad, give them screen time. I'm like, yeah, but we got limits, right? Like we got time, you get a half hour, like, what do you get? And there's no book. I'm like, this is the correct way. So that's a, that's my, one of my biggest worries growing up. When do I give him a phone? You know, like it's yeah. bizarre. It's hard. Yeah. I'm sure it's there's hard. not like a, enough data at this point. But and then I've seen okay. I've seen some data where they're like the kids who learned like the the learning games at, at a young age were actually smarter than the kids who just you know what I mean? So I'm like, oh God. So let's get some games going. Yeah. I want to be smart, but like I don't want to be addicted, you know? Well, again, you do your best. It's like yeah. sometimes you're gonna have to give them the phone or the iPad and like you have to do something and there's no one that like there's you do oh your best. Oh my God. You know what I I don't understand. I do not understand single parents how how they survive. Oh, yeah. They're my superheroes. I think they're the strongest human beings in the entire world. Mm -hmm. I can't go pee. Like I can't. I'm like, will you watch him while I just like go eat for a second? Like, how do they do it? Right. I don't. I don't know how. And I salute them. And they're they're my heroes. Honestly, superhuman. So, I mean, Daryl, you've talked about Daryl a lot. So I'm assuming he's like a really big help. Um, there's a couple of questions I have about this. The first question is, how does he help you and support you? And I guess part two would be, how has your relationship kind of shifted as a result of being parents? He's actually my number one fan. Like, there's my mom, and then there's him. Um, but, but he's he like he's so supportive at any job I get. If I'm hosting a show, if I'm on TV, or if I'm writing an album, or if I'm promoting my music or doing music video, he's like, I'm so proud of you. Like, you're the best. Like, I can't believe you did this work all day long. Let me massage your feet at night. Like, let me take care of you. Breakfast in bed. Like, this is a five star hotel. Um, and it's just like out of pure love and, um, I'm beyond lucky. It doesn't make sense, but also never settle out there. Um, but also when I'm working all day long, he's home with the baby and, and he'll make it so that some cases we'll check out the vibe, like for Top Chef Family Style as a host, we had a whole tour bus there. So my baby could come. And so my baby was there all day long with my mom and my husband and some situations like yesterday I was at a studio and it was really small and we were like 
let's not ruin his naps all day. Like you stay home with him. I'll come put him to to bed at seven. And he always makes sure that I come home and the baby's ready for me. And he, he lets me have my baby time. So he knows what's really important to me. My baby crawled for the first time ever yesterday. He videotaped it and sent it, started FaceTiming me. And I was like devastated because I was at work, but I was also like, you're the best husband ever. And he's so happy. So yeah, he just goes above and beyond for me. And yeah, it's gotten really stronger actually, which is bizarre because we breathe each other's air. Uh, (laughs) So he, because you know when you're, well, you guys don't know yet, but when your parents, time is so precious. And the moment we put him to bed at like 7, 7.30, we run to like jump in the shower and we have, you know what I mean? We shower, we put PJs on and we go to bed. And that time is like, we get a date night every single night. Like we laugh and we, cause we're just like, oh, this time is so valuable. Like I don't get to see you all day. Or if I do like you're with the baby and it's never like just us two anymore. So every night is like a special occasion. And so I think we've definitely got closer because of that. There is a weird phase after you have a baby of like, I'm not feeling so sexy anymore. I don't know if I'm trying to jump in the bed like that type of thing, especially after being like ripped apart. Um, and I'm sure vaginal birth is like even weirder, um, for that. But, um, I know for me, it took me a minute to come back and he is the most patient person alive. And he was like, I never want to make you uncomfortable. You let me know when you're ready and we'll take things slow. And it almost made it extra awesome because it was the teeds of it all, you know? Fantastic. He sounds great. Yeah. He sounds like an awesome <laughs> partner. Yeah. He's, yeah. No, he's, he needs to do a master class of like how to be the right husband, you know, the perfect yeah. husband. I don't know if you have any advice for that. Like, how do you get like the, your partner to be as involved? Like you guys have that relationship where you're doing things together and then having I'm sure it's harder it's so I can't imagine we're just lucky too with our lives like Daryl doesn't have a nine to five that he has to leave in the morning for you know um he's like as an actor it's like if you have a gig it's for three weeks and you come back you know um so we're very lucky in that kind of world but there are days where I have to be gone 12 hours and I don't get to see him but he still makes me feel like Here's an example. When when I was working 12-hour days filming TV shows like no days off, I came home and I and my husband had been teaching him how to say mama. So the first word he said was mama because Daryl knew mama misses you and you should she, you should say her name first. <laughs> so it's like little thing but like huge things, but little things like that where it's like or mama we made a video for you, you know, and it could be vice versa. It's like say dada so when he comes home you can make his whole world. And then you don't feel like, oh, I missed out on his whole month of living. You know, you're like, no, I was there the whole time. He said, mama. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So you're That's truly sweet. a team. Oh, it's partnership team. And we like high five. We're like, dude, we crushed the day. You know, we're teammates. Or It's like, it's very, it's very amazing. But it's, it's like relationships aren't always like this. And I got real lucky. Also, that hospital time will test your love. It will test you because it's like, I, especially having a C-section, I couldn't shower. I couldn't bathe my body. I couldn't myself. I couldn't pull up my underwear after I went to the bathroom. So Daryl was literally doing everything for me. I was like, what do you do if your husband's like not down to do that? Like you just always get the nurse every time you pee. Like what about when you go home? Like he was pulling up my pants for a month. Like 
that it is what it is. And you're, he's like, he was like, you're my soldier. He was my, my hero. So important. And that's, yeah, it's not easy. So, wow. Yeah. Can he teach a masterclass, please? Because. He needs to. Everyone (laughs) is like, where's this man? He needs to do an interview. (laughs) I would love to interview. Like, what's up? You just love me this much? Right. And what's crazier is that he didn't have a dad growing up. His dad left them when he was a baby. So he like, and he told me before dating me, he never saw himself marrying, marrying someone and having babies. Wow. But when he met me, something in his brain was like, I need to. Make Uh children with this woman and marry her, you know? And I think that's one of the things of like, I knew you were the one, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so sweet. And then like imagining if he didn't have a father, he probably wants to be like the best father. Yeah, it's weird how that happens. So they don't have one. They're like, okay, I'm going to double up and just be the best, you know? That's definitely real. Is there anything you know now that you wish you knew before you got pregnant or before you had a baby? I knew going into it, like, this is going to be a crazy ride. Um... (laughs) But it's everything I dreamed of, even with the bumps. It's like, even with the chaos, it's like I still have like my perfect baby that I always wanted. And it's still that pinch me moment of like, is this real? Like, I made this kid. It's it's a miracle. It's 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 amazing. And I've always wanted to be a mom. So um, I like when he falls asleep in my arms, I'm tearing up. I'm like, he's perfect, you know? <laughs> and at night, sometimes when we go to bed and we have our date nights, I go, God, I hope he wakes up. I miss him so much, you know? <laughs> I'm like, I hope he has a nightmare so I can go save him. Oh. <laughs> but I also like, I, I wish I could tell myself like, yo, you're going to learn things that no one warned you about. Knowing what you know now, do you have any advice that you would give to a pregnant mom or a new mom? Um, try as best as you can to not, be so locked in on this is how it's supposed to be because it, things will change. Yeah, I think that helps me so much, not not having any expectations. I got good with that as I got older. And my big word for my body was surrender, surrender, surrender. Like this is for your baby now, this body in this moment, the C-section. And I was like, it is funny how everything I went through, I'm ready to go. I'm like, get me pregnant again. Let's make six more. Okay. So that that will happen. No matter wh- how bad this is for you, you will want more. Six more, huh? Four. Okay, maybe like <laughs> three more. <laughs> that brings <laughs> a lot of hope. Okay, well, thank you so much, Megan. This was such an incredible conversation and it's so important and I think our viewers are going to love it. That was great for me. Thank you for that therapy. Um, also talk to your doctors and you're allowed to change doctors. You're allowed to feel uncomfortable and do something about it. Absolutely. Great takeaway. We had just finished recording with Megan Trainer. It was incredible. Micheline, how are you feeling? Amazing. First of all, I was fangirling because I love what she stands for. I love that she's so like outspoken about mental health and Uh, body positivity and, you know, a lot of really cool stuff and takeaways for new mothers out there for anyone who's thinking about becoming a mother. What did you take away from this episode? I'm excited for this episode to come out because of how much we talked about things that aren't talked about enough with pregnancy and becoming a new mother. And like I mentioned, something I see in my practice all the time with my clients of like the stigma behind intrusive thoughts or the stigma behind having a C-section instead of a natural birth or not breastfeeding. And it's just destigmatizing and normalizing and humanizing these experiences. And I'm just so excited to help other people feel like they're not alone and what they're doing is enough. Yeah. 
recently a lot of people close to me have had babies and I've seen them firsthand struggling with, you know, a lot of the shaming that's out there, a lot of like, am I doing the right things? Am I a good enough mother? Am I, you know, going to mess up my child? And I think this episode really speaks to that and shows you that we're all so different. And I just love how her perspective is like, no, this is what we did and and it was fine. And like nothing went her way, it sounds like. She had one barrier after another. And she mentioned a very important thing. Her baby's healthy and happy and she's obsessed with him. (laughs) She loves him. Yeah, absolutely. I just, she was so incredible. And she talked about things that she does and she does with her husband to make sure that they're celebrating all their small wins and keeping their mental health in check. And she shared a story that she said she never shared with anyone before, ever. Mm -hmm. And I think it was an incredibly important story because a lot of people will have similar lived experiences where that shame comes into play right away when they become moms. I think the main things is like, tell people how you want help when you're experiencing mental health issues. She talked about, she told her husband what she needed. And so now he knows what to do. So that was something that was a really, really powerful takeaway. And the second takeaway, I think that resonated with me was there's no such thing as perfect. Like there's, you know, what you have in front of you and whatever comes up, surrender. She said like kind of surrender, like she had to tell herself that she had no control. So it's something that we teach our clients often. It's like, what do you have control over and what you don't? And it sounds like in that moment, that was kind of something she realized. Yeah, I never thought of it that way, of the surrender and the control. But you're right, I I do think we could have, but we obviously didn't have the time and I would love to talk to her again, but focused a lot on the importance of asking for help when you need it and asking for your needs to be met. Absolutely. Such a great episode, so many great takeaways, and we hope that you enjoy this one. Thank you so much for listening today. This discussion is so important to ending the mental health stigma. If you want to help the mental health movement, you can do so by leaving a written review for this podcast to help it reach more people. If you want to dive deeper into these topics and learn more about mental health, make sure you subscribe and follow Micheline and Nadia's mental health podcast, Mind-Fully Healing, anywhere you stream your podcasts.